Welcome to Rainbow Colored Glasses, a podcast that looks at LGBTQ cinema of the past and asks what it means today. I'm Paul, my guests are Don and Spencer, and we're discussing the film Our Sons. There will be spoilers. Our Sons aired on NBC in 1991. Julie Andrews and Anne Margaret play the disapproving mothers of gay sons, and the sons are played by Hugh Grant and Jelko Ivanik. Julie and Hugh still talk, but Anne kicked Ivanik out when he was a teen. Now he's dying of AIDS. So Julie agrees to drag Anne to San Diego to see her son. Along the way, there are arguments, tears, and some very large hairstyles. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Let's get your first impressions. What did you think of this film? I thought the film really identified the time period on numerous levels, not just the style that it was shot in, but also what was going on, not only in the subject of the film, but another interesting sidebar was the development of hospice was totally aligned with what was going on with AIDS at the time and HIV. And it's interesting how they linked up and it's questionable as to whether hospice would even be what it is today without the activists demanding that they help in the AIDS pandemic and really helped a lot of people through it. Spencer. I definitely saw it as a period piece. A lot of it felt dated to me, just based on where we are today. But I appreciate already Don's contextualization of some of the events of the film, such as hospice, because I will say hospice is something that I take for granted in terms of our healthcare today. So that's not something that I considered a novel concept at that time. I did understand that for AIDS patients back in that day, that a lot of them didn't receive that level of care. Instead, they were isolated, not given funerals like we saw at the end of the film, et cetera, spoiler alert. But I I did feel like the pacing needed some help. As a viewer, I just wanted things to move a little more quickly. I wanted the women to meet a lot sooner in the film and have their arguments out a lot earlier. And I wanted the reunion between the son and mother to occur a lot earlier, just to give us something um, to hold on to and have the difference of opinion and the resolution ultimately come about. But overall, I appreciated it. And I never knew this film existed. And I never knew that these stars did a movie like this. I never thought Hugh Grant would be in a movie playing a gay man. Like, appreciated that about him and his career path. Hughes actually played a couple of gay roles. He did Morris before this, and he was most recently in a really fantastic miniseries called A Very British Scandal. I just felt like this was a very different role for him, and there's even something about his accent that was clipped. I mean, the character was miserable the entire film. I don't think he smiled once, maybe at the very end. And and I understood that was also a character choice because it was him holding on to anxiety and grief and feeling misunderstood by his mother. This film draws a sharp contrast between how the two mothers treat their gay sons. I believe Julie Andrews is the protagonist simply because we meet her before we meet Anne Margaret, even though they're both on similar journeys. 
in some ways, I believe, and John uh, Ehrman would back me up, the director, that both women were the protagonists. He made an interesting comment, too, that because I was wondering, you know, they kind of shoved the husband people off to the side. We got a slight bit of input as to what was on there. But John actually, there's a quote from him saying he he couldn't deal with two guys in this thing too, that he felt that the two women would be good protagonists and to bring their husbands into it, you know, maybe it improved the pace. Um, Cause I thought, you know, what Spencer said, I didn't find a pace. I thought the pace was a snooze fest, um, but it was an engaging topic and you have this tremendous cast. So, you know, it, it's not hard to stick with it. I don't know. I, my initial take just on, in terms, terms of the two actresses, I felt Anne Margaret was much more compelling a character, and I thought she did a better job with her role. I felt more connection to her as an actress and her portraying that role. Julie, obviously, is a powerhouse, and I think she needed to throttle it back a bit. She, for me, was a lot, very loud, very commanding, and I know she was playing the dominant businesswoman, but... I found Anne Margaret played a more even um, believable character and you could kind of see where the whole thing was going, but I related to Anne Margaret more than Julie Andrews. And I think Julie Andrews is a phenomenal actress. And I, I think in general, her movies are a whole step above the work that Anne Margaret did, but I don't know. John Ehrman had done other work with Anne Margaret and they had a relationship. So I, I don't know how that played into the way I saw her play that role or not. Well, the interesting thing there is that Anne Margaret's playing the type of homophobia that I'm used to in these stories. She's the the lower class Christian conservative from Arkansas who thinks her son is going to hell and that AIDS is God's curse. And everyone sort of dismisses her at the start of the movie because of that. They think she's a hopeless case. And so over the course of the film, the question is whether or not she's going to come round to a relationship with her son. And I'm not sure by the end of the film that she does. I see the moment she does eventually come and see her son in the hospital, but their conversations never quite break through to the real issues. Spencer, what did you think of the relationship between Anne-Margaret and her son? Well, for one, I think they frame the two relationships, mother-son relationships, in completely different ways, in totally different lights. And that's based on fundamentally who the women are and how they're portrayed to be. So you have Julie Andrews, who is seemingly progressive alone and just being a successful business woman, that's, you know, a, a pretty progressive ideal, I would say, and being kind of a boss on her own. And then you have Anne Margaret who's living in a trailer park. So there's, there's a difference of class. There's a different difference of status. There's a difference of religion. There's a difference of political belief of acceptance of their son. So they really do kind of pit the two women against each other. I think in terms of Anne Margaret's relationship with her son there's kind of this sense of like, she doesn't know who he is anymore. She doesn't know in this present moment who her son is or how he identifies. She doesn't know much about that person. But I think the, the film 
insinuates that she knows who he is at his core and that and his heart of hearts who he is who he was as that young boy drawing in that castle um she knows his dreams she knows his aspirations she knows his passions there's something about that that the film describes kind of as that like mother intuition about her son like she talks about the birth the day of his birth and how time stood still in that moment for her. And, and she never really left that moment because she identified with him. She identified herself as a mother of him. So they kind of give her agency like in that way and a connection to him, even if it's been, I don't know if they ever say how many years, but it feels like centuries that they've even had some kind of relationship Got to have been at least a decade. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Paul, in the sense that I think Luann, in the end, it was not so much an understanding or an acceptance of who he was. I think her mourning was the loss of a son and the life she could have had with her son, who she showed us the pictures of him as a young boy. So she mourns that loss. I don't think she mourns the loss of him dying of AIDS and what he was as an adult. She she recognizes his accomplishments, but it's kind of more like she refers it back to his drawings as a child. And she obviously brings him this drawing of a castle that he drew as a child and had reminded him that that was the castle he was going to build her. So, you know, she was mourning a different loss, not acceptance. And he doesn't really get the chance to have his say. He he never he never really tells her what how he feels about her coming back and how he feels about their relationship. He tells Hugh briefly that he doesn't want her to come. T- tells her put her put her back on the plane. I don't want to see her. And then he changes his mind. But well, he when- steps he steps back as the compliant child and offers her a candy in the hospital. Well, in general, I don't think that character says one original thing in the entire film. I think he just continues to spit out queer quips from Wizard of Oz or whatever. The entire film, they make him the most redundant character <laughs> ever. Yeah, his his thing is that he loves old movies, so he's constantly spouting old movie quotes. And I felt like even in his relationship with Hugh Grant, he didn't get to assert himself very much because Hugh was controlling what he ate and who he talked to. There was no sense of intimacy between them because all we saw was him as the patient. And to me, I I never saw any kind of romantic feeling between them. I just saw caretaker and and patient. You think that might have been the time period and John... Um, the director trying to see how far he could go with this. I think it's very 1991. I mean, you, you not only had the majority of the population thinking you'll get AIDS if you touch somebody with AIDS, you know, the, they're, they kind of deal with that in the movie, but if historically 1991, the majority of people still, you know, were shunning people like leopards. So I, 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 I'm glad at the end, he actually did kiss his head. So for 19, 1991, that was just probably a stretch. But did he ever say, I love you? I mean, I, that that to me, not, say it. If totally. you can't show it, you know, well, if you can't I, show it physically, then say but it. I do think there was a common thread through there that they were dedicated to each other. There was definitely, I think there was definitely love displayed 
but as I don't honestly, Spencer, know if they ever said the word. I can't recall it. It's partially my judgment of Hugh's character in the film, too, though, because I felt in general he didn't express a lot of emotion beyond this pent up anxiety, fear, etc. At the start of the film, it seems like Julie's the tolerant one and Anne is the intolerant one. And I wondered why Hugh was so angry with her. But then as it goes on, you realize the two of them have been playing don't ask, don't tell, and that Julie doesn't really know anything about his life or uh, his partner. And she eventually admits that she, she just she hasn't want to know. And he, he keeps saying people know what they want to know. And she says, well, what does that mean? What is he saying? And then she gets it. I picked up on that little dance that they were doing pretty early on. The dad kind of made suggestion of that in his dinner with Julie Andrews, too. You know, you don't know. Well, you didn't ask because she just simply doesn't ask the the question. Um, And so that's why I think when Anne Margaret's character comes in, it's such a challenge to Julie Andrews approach to her son's sexuality because Anne Margaret, even though it's a negative response, she's reacting strongly to it and clearly to it. You know how she feels about it. Whereas Julie Andrew stomachs her feelings for it, but doesn't necessarily make that evident in her speech or, or behavior beyond not speaking of it. It's the absence of behavior or articulation that in itself is a statement. And Hugh, Hugh's character is afraid to say things, too. He's afraid to tell Jelko's mother that her son is dying. He's afraid to get the AIDS test himself to find out whether he has contracted it. He snaps at people if they ask him questions. He gets very passive-aggressive or outright aggressive. But he's got as much repression as uh, Julie does. He's carried that with him. And I was very distracted the first time I watched this film by Hugh Grant's American accent, particularly since Julie has her standard British accent. And the logic behind it that I can see is Julie does tell Anne that he was born in America. But at the same time, I feel like he's trying to set himself apart from his mother. You'd mentioned on the structure of the film. Tell me, tell me a bit about how you think the story is set up in this. Strictly speaking of just the way the movie was made, I think it was probably low budget. I don't know what he had to pay um, people who were already accomplished and up and coming actors and actresses. I, my guess is they probably were modest in what they were charging for their services and wanted to help promote the cause. Um, Having not been a big soap opera fan, but to me, it looked totally soap opera. And I found it distracting the close-up headshots where I wanted to see the interaction between the characters. And that sometimes I felt like it was boom right into my face. And I lost a lot of the you know, drama or the empathy I could have gotten had I seen more interplay between the characters. Too, too many you know, close-up face shots that you know, didn't seem connected, you know, and, and possibly it was shot at times where both actors, you know, and actresses weren't there. Really common to shoot scenes with only one side. And it, and it was kind of obvious. Um, so there were some issues there. The lighting bothered me because of a lot of side lighting. Um, and, I, and I thought it distracted. In all in all, all those things, it didn't 
I think, take away from the theme of the movie. And I think, I think that came through. So it wasn't a deal breaker for me, but th- there were issues and, you know, some minor, some not. So you touched on something that hit for me too, which is the scope of the film, because it's so centered on these four characters with these, with some side characters, but I do wish they had expanded the universe of the film just a little more. I loved uh, on HBO, It's a Sin, because you not only dealt with the families and the people being affected by it, but they had friends, they had friends of friends, they had club friends, and it really kind of showcased and encapsulated that time for those people and for like just in general, how everyone was coping with the epidemic versus just the people who may or may not be suffering from it and their families who are reacting to the mortality of their children. I I wish this film had expanded that scope just a little further and shown the other people at play here, whether it even just be the hospital staff and like, like that receptionist part at the beginning was actually strangely interesting to me. I don't know why the pregnant woman that was working for Julie Andrews. And I wish we had seen more of that in the hospital. Like who are those hospital workers? Because they're the people that they're interfacing with on a regular basis who really are at the forefront of this thing and kind of offer a unique perspective on it. So I wish we had had these other Characters to offer perhaps a little levity at times, perhaps a little reaction to what they're seeing and the fractured relationships that are on display here. And maybe it that's- did feel very soap. It felt very soap opera to me, yeah. but yeah. without the highs and lows of soap I, opera either. I, you know, I wanted bigger swings and I wanted yeah. lower lows, and instead, it kind of stayed in the middle, and totally. it was a very half-baked drama overall. Yeah, soaps had a lot more drama in them. The slam. Give us Dynasty. Just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the closest we get, all right, Julie grabbing Anne and saying, he's going to yeah. die, you bitch, or you stupid <laughs> bitch. That's perfect. And, opera. <laughs> and then Anne very briefly snapping at her son in the hospital room, saying, you brought this on yourself, didn't you? <laughs> Which, how have those not become memes? I mean, yeah, totally. Julie Andrew shaking her saying, <laughs> bitch, like how, thank you, Paul. Maybe it will become now. Maybe yeah. this is just the beginning. <laughs> Who would you recommend this film to today? I think it would be fun to show in high school classes. now Because they're really removed their exposure to not only that time period in TV, but a lot of what was going on in history. And it would be interesting to see what this next generation coming up felt about it. I want to say drag queens so that they can create, recreate the scenes between the two women (laughs) and use them in their spliced lip syncing performances. (laughs) Because I do think it's, those are the two highlights, Paul, you definitely called out the best two moments of the entire (laughs) film. And I feel like that would be great stage material. So definitely some drag queens. I'm afraid to share it with, other like parents and and stuff because I just feel like the information isn't as relevant anymore. So I just, I'm nervous about like people thinking that things still operate in that way. I think it would be a fun film for Anne Margaret fans, just because I haven't seen her play a part like that elsewhere in her career. I don't think it's as good for Julie Andrews or Hugh Grant fans because they have played those type of roles before. 
Yeah, I think Anne Margaret, it was very unique for her when you look back at her career. And maybe she did it because John um, asked her to do it and they had done projects before in the past. But yeah, it was totally out of character for what she had normally done and did in the the future. My mom didn't even recognize her. She she was walking by, I was like, that's Anne Margaret. And I was like, it is? (laughs) She didn't recognize her in it. Well, uh, we're about out of time, but I want to thank you both so much for doing this with me. I love sharing these films with people that I find. Thank you. Enjoy it. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to Rainbow Colored Glasses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Glasses Rainbow. The music you're listening to is Squares, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'll see you next time.